Good morning. Whenever I travel to other countries and they ask me who I am, I would usually say my name and my country. I'm Tet from the Philippines. Usually they say, oh, you're Filipino. One time I shared an Uber in Berkeley and it's funny how you can get four ethnicities in one cab. I sat on the front passenger seat beside the driver who happened to be Indian. I've been to India, so I could tell. At the back were a white American man and I was guessing the other one was a Brazilian woman because she was speaking Portuguese on the phone. Except for the Gen X me, everyone was a millennial. I knew this would be interesting if just one of us spoke. And Indians always get excited when they see a Filipino for some reason. And before I continue the story, let me show you first the video of Russell Peters, an Indian, talking about the Filipinos. I don't know what it is. Wherever you go around the world, you know, there, there's Indians and Filipinos always together. You go to Dubai, Indians and Filipinos. You go to Singapore, Indians and Filipinos. Hong Kong, Indians and Filipinos. What are we calling each other? <laughs> so, have you heard of any good job opportunities? <laughs> well, we hear there's uh, some jobs coming up in uh, Dubai and uh, maybe we can go there and do some uh, disco dancing or something, huh? <laughs> So then the driver asked me, so are you a nurse? <laughs> and of course I quipped, why are you a mathematician? <laughs> and of course he felt flattered because he said, oh, you know, we invented it, huh? Because, you know, I really work for a tech company and I just drive Uber for fun. So that's what he told me. Of course he was kidding, but I said, I know, I'd love to be an Uber driver just to be able to talk to different kinds of people see where they work, how they live. I think it's in my DNA. Filipinos love to travel. I mean, in Italy, we are the fifth largest ethnicity. Our Polynesian ancestors have been intermingling with natives of America across the Pacific Ocean long before Columbus without spreading disease or violence of any scale just exchanging their rich cultures and enduring sensibilities about respect for elders, respect for nature, respect for what cannot be seen, the imminent and transcendent beyond the material. My Polynesian ancestors reached as far west as the Madagascar, as Madagascar and as far east as the Americas for a longer era and farther than Vikings. There's a museum in Mexico that credits the Filipino distillation process for coconut that's neither gin nor vodka nor wine, but is a class of its own. And this distillation process the Mexicans adopted for making tequila. Mexicans also credit critical Filipino support for participating in their successful revolution against Spain in 1810. 
Even earlier than that, in 1763, Filipinos were already settled in St. Malo, Louisiana, before it was even called part of the US. In many countries in the world, you will see statues of our national hero, Dr. Jose Rizal in Spain, Canada, Japan, Germany, and France, Italy, London, Carson in California, Chicago, Maui, Sydney, Prague, Seattle, Hong Kong, and Xinjiang, China. Our national hero. Today, for every two Filipino households, there's one migrant worker. Filipinos are in every part of the world, including the oceans and the seas. Filipinos are the top choice for seafarers all over the world. A close second are the Dutch, who tend to always get the higher ranks and get promoted. Not that we are less talented. Yes, we aren't just nurses. We are also engineers who built many things in Qatar, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Middle Eastern countries. It is our propensity for building communities that we find a home everywhere. Our radical welcome, our love for diversity are what makes me proud when I say, hi, I'm Tet, I'm from the Philippines. One time I was in Nepal volunteering with post-disaster relief a year after the earthquake struck when I met a German who told me, oh, you're Filipino. You know, when I was in a hostel in Ankara, there was a Filipino who fed all of us just because he loved to cook for a large group of people. And it was delicious. By the way, here's a video of me in Nepal. Eric, US. Ashutosh <laughs> from India. Uh, Colin, Scotland. Danny, England. Phoebe, Malaysia. Todd from Italy. Abby from England. Ellie from Germany. Matthew from the US. Ted from the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was fun. You know, I often, if not always, get lost in my travels. And often the moment I say I'm Filipino, it's like a magic word for angels to send me support. It doesn't matter whether I'm lost in a train ride in California, somewhere in Germany or Holland or India, I know I'll find my way. And sometimes I ask myself, can you imagine if I said to a bunch of strangers on the train that one time that I was lost again, somewhere between Manchester and Edinburgh, if I said, hi, I'm Ted, I'm a UU, I'm sure I'd get a different reaction, probably more blank stares than what I got that day when I just said, hi, I'm Ted, I'm Filipino. It's a way of life, a well-grounded and enduring set of sensibilities that have helped us form friendships across the globe. When I'm asked Unitarian Universalist, what? I say, it's a religion. Either they shrug it off or they would be so engaged they expect me to recite some dogma like ours could be encapsulated into a few bullet points. That there is a coherent message at least we can offer the world that comes from our history. I feel like whenever we try to attempt or articulate a UU theology, we face many dangers. 
One is the assumption that the history of our theology is linear or that it is centered in the enlightenment or the renaissance of the West. But the more I go East and the farther back in time, the deeper I feel grounded in the indigenous roots of this liberal faith of mine. We can come to a point in history where our lineage, as you use, opposes orthodoxy, fundamentalism, hegemony, and even empire. But conflict is not the only birthplace of our sensibilities, leaning towards questions and transformation and openness. If you go farther back, you will find that our sensibilities were well-rooted in enduring values that resonate in many cultures, mostly those that are life-sustaining communal values, indigenous practices of community conversations, sharing resources, respect for the elders and the disadvantaged. In our Philippine revolution against Spain in the late 1800s, one of our natural heroes was Apollinario Mabini, who couldn't walk because of polio, but he was the brains behind the wisest strategies. And in fact, we had won. We had women generals normalized, but whose names have been erased by Western-style patriarchy. Our Filipino sensibilities brought us to that bridge where we started talking with universalists in the U.S. in the mid-1950s. They didn't convert us or make us better people. I feel like they met us in the middle of the journey at some junction. And there are many junctures because the path is not linear. We don't want to lose the gifts of simultaneous springs that form the open river where we all swim. A second point is that sometimes we can assume that the chalice we light invokes a universal sensibility between light and dark everywhere, and it does not. The dark of the cosmos is celebrated in most religions. The dark can symbolize the fertile soil, the soil itself, a living thing unbeknownst to many. The lovely things we do in the dark, for instance, with our significant other are holy indeed. And so is the seeming color of pure silence that helps us comprehend everything. Third is, we often risk proselytizing our diversity by glorifying words like unity, God, salvation, or revelation, as if we were still in dialogue with the Church of the Dark Ages, such that our words can become so exclusive that they fail to provoke the sensibilities of those who are creating their unique flavor of kindness as a response to our modern world. Fourth is that we can get so caught up in the drama of revolutionary struggle and heroism, bearing the torch of a long line of heretics that we risk losing the holiness of the ordinary and get stuck in rebellion against imperfect leaders with imperfect authorities. The sensibility that helps us appreciate everyone all at the same time, through time and space, regardless of rank, status, or color, can be so undermined by giving honor to only a few. The sensibility of, wouldn't you do the same for me, makes heroism so ordinary as it ought to be. I am sometimes puzzled 
by this Western sensibility that everything has to be heroic, ordinary things we do in the East, like household chores divided between the genders, parenting, teaching, taking care of the ill or the aging or the young, they're ordinary. These are not impressive at all. What impresses us are choosing the greater good over individual interests, giving to those who can't repay you, cleaning up the mess of someone else to cushion the community impact, or risking your life to expose a deception to make the community much wiser. Many of the things we think came from the Greeks and Romans, like democracy, secularism, equality, and science were all born in the East much earlier. All it needs is a little more thorough digging up of facts. Whitewashing our history, forcing a linear arc to extol certain heroes is not going to liberate us. We need to embrace the complexity of the human story if we must learn to accept our own individual complexity. Thank you. <laughs>